Hello, everyone. It is. <laughs> oh, what day is it, Nicholas? Excuse me. Uh, I was expecting I was expecting Chris to be joining me, but apparently he's been kidnapped by the newest member of Retribution. <laughs> so, uh... <laughs> well, it's Garden City Birds and Asses, and you can have your podcast host back. <laughs> All right, so uh, I, I'm here today, I guess, with with Bane. Ah, remember what a <laughs> cultural touchstone I am? It's so timely, too! Remember Bane, everybody? <laughs> I'm pretty sure that... <laughs> When the last time we were able to actually meet up at Magfest, we were doing Bane impressions for each other. So, <laughs> and now we do it on the podcast. <laughs> it's been in our Halloween costumes, and he hasn't appeared on the podcast, so it's Bane. So, carry on, Nick. What day is it? It it's it's October the fourteenth of twenty twenty. Yes. Um, I got distracted by something very distracting, so I forgot to say the date. <laughs> it's the middle of October, which, of course, is Halloween month here on Weekly Manga Recap, which is when we take Halloween recommendations and people in various costumes appear in place of my co-host, Chris, because uh-huh. they like torturing me. But they uh, carry all of the same so... opinions. Yes, it's amazing how... Understand that the opinions of Bane do share the opinions of normal podcast host Chris. Uh, It's amazing how uh, the Spookmaster General and Thor and Bane and Chris all have the exact same input that the others would have. We have very similar tastes. We all believe that One Piece is the best. (laughs) We are talking about One Piece today, correct? Um, I mean, we can talk about it, you know, if you want to, I guess. Oh, huzzah! I mean, there's no chapter to talk about, but... There's always something to talk about with One Piece. How about those... How about that... Those giants? It's pretty crazy. (laughs) Same sports opinions, too. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are... Those are not doing too well. Now, I must have a drink. Got it. <laughs> Carry on, please don't hold up. Okay. So, uh, Chris uh, was warning me. Take a moment to get the straw out. Chris did, failed to warn me uh, about who exactly would be appearing on the podcast in place of him. So, I don't know how much of School Mermaid you, Bane, have read before. <laughs> Um, Enough to know it's bad. Okay. Like Bane. <laughs> or as I would say in the Christopher Nolan movie, muy mal, because I'm Spanish. <laughs> Except I'm not. <laughs> I was played by Tom Hardy. <laughs> um, so School Mermaid was a series that we are talking about this week. What if I try uh, going in from below? That work works a little better. Okay. I'm glad that you're only just now learning how to drink through that mask <laughs> that you've had to wear your, your entire life. No one knew who I was until I put on the mask. Carry on. Oh. 
the series by Yoshitomi Akihito, which uh, ran in uh, a couple of different magazines. Champion Red was one. Weekly Shonen Champion was the other. Uh, has a kind of an odd publication history because it was originally published as a quote-unquote three-chapter one-shot. Uh, and then it got revived. And then it got revived again. It essentially sounds as if uh, the mangaka basically uh, kind of put it to the side after, and you know, came up with an idea and thought they were done with it after the one go. And then maybe there was positive feedback or maybe you just came back to it and was like, oh, I've got some more ideas that I can run with this premise. And so we kind of wind up with a, a series that is one part an anthology of short stories all with rotating around this same premise and then eventually there is a somewhat longer ongoing story that happens again with the same premise and some stuff ends up getting retroactively fitted into this plot so that it is like a continuous timeline of things feeding into each other instead of just a bunch of single parts. And the premise of School Mermaid is that there is this school where mermaids are. Who could have thought? But uh -huh. instead of being like regular mermaids for some reason, they appear as girls who are wearing uh, classic style Japanese school swimsuits. The one piece blue ones that have like, you know, a label on the middle of them. And uh, the legend says that if you go to the school and you recite this chant uh, in order to summon them, uh, the mermaids, which are normally invisible to everyone, will become invisible to you. And starting from there, you have until the sun rises to try and eat the flesh of a mermaid. Uh, if you fail to do so, you will turn into a mermaid yourself and join their ranks. But if you are successful in eating the flesh of one, you will be protected from that. And also, you will be able to make any boy that you want fall in love with you. The conditions are that if, depending on what their name is, you you have to eat the flesh of a mermaid whose sh name starts with the same letter as them. And uh, the way that this happens is that girls who have failed to uh, do it and have joined the mermaids, their letter is the first letter of their first name. And there's some other rules that get thrown in and, and, and expanded upon. By the end, it gets a little bit weirdly complicated, uh, and a little bit kind of clunky and hard to follow. But it's a pretty dumb story just from the get-go. Uh, it's just, you know, girls being assholes oh, because they want to make a guy that they have a crush on their love slave. That is, like, what we're starting off with. Uh, and it takes about three volumes to introduce a girl who is not a selfish asshole. And fortunately, the story revolves around her as it goes forward, because it's like she actually wants to, you know, do good things with this. But for the most part, it's got that kind of like, you know, sort of, I don't even want to say Twilight Zone-ish uh, kind of feel to it of like ironic punishments uh -huh. that, that, that have a slightly better person than this one that happened to you uh, kind of thing. And it's just one story after another like that until you get into the ongoing story. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of karma. There's a lot of like, hey, you were shitty, but you know, hey, sometimes there's a crazy twist. And 
I think the only one that's kind of interesting to me is the first one because the the, the rules for this series, as you said, are kind of complicated. It's kind of like a very bad, dumb horror death note where like this little fucking notebook just keeps expanding with a bunch of rules where they're just like, oh, you shouldn't fucking be out after dark, though. That makes them angry or, you know, whatever fucking rule it gets added in to, to add to the story or whatever. The first one kind of works because although the premise is absurdly dumb, the concept of one girl being betrayed by another one solely because she's like, oh, once you turn into a mermaid, that'll make it easier for me to catch you next time and get to the boy I like because I need somebody with your letter name, basically. The other ones are too fast and you're always so slow. Like, that one had like a decent story to it, but everything else is just kind of like a worse version of that as you go along. And then you're just like, yeah, I don't think this is like the Twilight Zone where this premise is strong enough to sustain an entire like universe around, basically. Like, well, and I should clarify, the Twilight Zone very rarely had part twos to yes. stories. <laughs> but it's just like it's not there's not that interesting of a concept here. You kill the mermaid like there's a couple rules that you can twist around. You can do different things with there's. There's one that's, like, somewhat novel that the two girls are killing each other. And one's like, the only way I'm going to survive is if I eat this flesh and think of the girl who's trying to kill me so that she'll become my love slave. And they basically, like, there's stuff like that. But it's just, like, it's just not that interesting. Like, you're just like, I don't know, this is here. Like, you're doing the best with this concept. But if you were to tell me, like, hey, we're going to do a an ongoing horror manga series. What's the premise? Like, I don't know, you hunt down high school like high school girls in swimsuits and cut them up and eat part of their flesh like it's like this isn't interesting enough to really go the the whole nine yards with it yeah and when it does get to a point where it's the premise for an ongoing story a lot of stuff has to be retconned so you mentioned the girl who in the first story her real plan is to actually kill the girl that she came in with so that she can then later kill someone else uh, and get that and, and get that boy to fall in love with her, blah, blah, blah. She ends up becoming like the final villain of the series, basically, because it, as it stuff like gets kind of like retroactively added in that, like, she's actually the teacher in a future storyline who tries to get something to happen. And then she's discovered a way that by getting one of the mermaids who has escaped the curse of the mermaid, but not really if she drinks their blood then it gives her eternal youth and beauty. And the reason that she was actually looking for a girl whose name started with one thing was not because that shared the name with the boy that she wanted to be with. It was actually because if that a mermaid drinks the blood of someone whose name has the letter after theirs, then that actually, and the reason why the original mermaid has a Q, which is not, like a name that happens in Japanese is because there was this girl who was from a family who they were called queen. And so Q instead of K. And so it sounds insanely dumb. Like it's one of those things that like, it started off as a very simple, but weird idea. And then it was designed to be for a few chapters. And I will give, uh, I will give uh, Yoshitomi Sensei a little bit of credit, which is that they managed to take that 
and come back to it and put a few different spins on it each time that they came back to it. But some of the spins are much weaker than others. And it's definitely something that was never designed to have a huge, grand, intricate story behind it. So I say that, like, hey, there's this one girl that is actually likable that you follow for a while. Her name is Shinobu, and, you know, she has no interest in wanting to actually use this this mermaid curse. She just, like, goes one night to actually help out her friend. Her friend gets turned into a mermaid, so then she's like, is there some way that I can go back and save her? And as she's getting more involved in it, she keeps on making these visits, trying to figure out what the mystery behind everything is so that she can do something about it because she come she you know realizes after doing a little bit of looking into it oh all these mermaids are just girls who have been you know captured by this legend over the course of years and years these are although they are basically monsters now they were once humans and they can be potentially turned back into humans and so aren't they worth saving and so it's like okay that is a that's like a hero that I can like fall you know want to actually follow and root for as opposed to oh she's gonna you know score a date with the guy that she'll like for two months before getting tired of him while he is doomed to hopelessly remain in love with her because of the stupid curse that she's placed on him um but when she actually when you actually find out more and more about this stuff it's like oh this is not actually interesting as you get into it so there's a story that at times is actually that it's mostly dumb. There are occasional bits where it's like, okay, that's interesting. Or that's a neat, a nice little twist that you threw in there. There were actually one or two moments where I was, where I was like, Oh shit. Uh, because I was surprised, but it was, it was a surprise in a way that actually made perfect sense. Um, but then there are just like dumb things that the girls do. Like there's the thing that comes up multiple times of, well, I could trick the other mermaids if I dressed myself like them. So I'll put on this school swimsuit and pretend to be one of them. And that ends up getting one girl killed because, oh, the other, one of the other girls that's in the building thinks that she's a mermaid. But then the girl that she's getting killed, it turns out that she's getting the mermaids to attack her when they're normally just running away. And it's like, well, why did that happen? And so she becomes a mermaid. And so in the middle of this thing that the girls are doing, one of them becomes a mermaid. So one of them is able to eat this girl who just became a mermaid, her flesh. And so <laughs> it's, I think that the best stories are, are those that are just like the most straightforward ghost story with a twist kind of thing that happened. Mm. And like you said, the first one I think is the cleanest of those Yeah, because it's just, here's this weird premise. Here's this one rule and playing off of that one rule, this girl betrays this other girl. And that's what happens. And everything after that is, is a little bit more complicated and loses a bit of the charm of that. Uh, so, Hey, it's a, it's not the worst series that we've read for Halloween, um, but it's 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 one of the weird it's one of the weird and dumb ones. So, yeah, I'm not as favorable. I really didn't like this series. I think there's like some stuff to. I, I think it's just it's dumb in a very bad way for me. Where I'm just like I don't know. I, and again, we the irony of us doing a a, a Halloween month with neither of us particularly like horror. 
probably plays a little bit into it, but I was like, I don't know. I feel like even if I liked horror, this isn't very good horror. It's not particularly scary so much. Um, and the art's really kind of bad. And there's a part of it, too, where I'm just like, I don't know. Why is it, like, high school girls in swimsuits constantly doing, like, yeah. model Bending poses over. and stuff like that? I'm just like, yeah. hey, you know, this, just, this is just kind of seems dumb. I, 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 Why was this series actually popular? I wonder. Yeah, I was like, I, you know, the first three chapters make for, like, a fun midnight ghost story kind of thing. And then everything after that is that is pretty skippable as far as I'm concerned. Also, uh, for, there are a few different sources that I looked that I had to look up information on this series because it's not a particularly, you know, mainstream one. But like, there are so many. They're like, "Oh, this story is so creepy and weird." It's just like, I mean, it's not really. I mean, there was not a single moment when I was reading this where I was just like, "Oh, this is disturbing," or "Oh, this is scary." It's just kind of weird. So, yeah, there's maybe the closest is when the girls in the bathroom for me and the other girls start coming out of the waterworks and it, it yes. looks as though like their lungs are coming out. Like they don't come out in like a full thing. It looks like it just splatters every part of them. And then they reassemble. I'm like, that's kind of unnerving, but the art's not really there to, you know, drive it home, so to speak. So. Yeah. If it played up more of that kind of stuff, it would have definitely been a scarier thing. Cause that's, yeah. I, I had the same kind of reaction in, as you when I was like, oh, that's actually kind of weird and mm. gross. Because most of the time, it's just, you know, these mermaids. Come chase me! Chase me! Like, pretty much. And they're, then they, you know, they only speak in, like, you know, like grunts and squeeze, you know. Uh, and, of course, they look just like normal high school girls most of the time who are wearing swimsuits and they're, like, swimming through walls and floors and stuff like that so when they appear out of the waterworks like that it's like the only time that it happens yeah so it's it's not great uh but i do want to say it's like i've read much worse so (laughs) i'll give it that so but yeah that one's done all right let's talk about Oh, let's talk about heroes and villains, Nicholas. Okay, we'll do that, yes. Excellent. Mr. Bane. So, if you don't die of the My Hero Academia, you live... That was the second movie. And this one, it's like... uh, That looks like a bad manga, like... You look like you could read it. And I'm like, no, bad for you. It doesn't work completely. Because <laughs> I was like a feeling we're using a noun and like an activity. But yeah, you know, just those ones. Remember all the notable quotes from <laughs> the third movie in the trilogy? I, the, the speech that he gives at, at the Wall Street Exchange is a bit too complicated. <laughs> Remember when he says that little boy has a beautiful singing voice? That yes. one. Oh, what a lovely, lovely voice. I Remember when I told I you to mind your surroundings? That was the first one. Oh, dear. <laughs> well, I mean, he made a cameo in mine. <laughs> he was in there. Remember what he said? Please? Yeah, he said, pay me. 
Yeah, we don't. These quotes are so memorable. We don't even have to go over any of them. All right. Chapter number 287 of My Hero Academia. Mistake of... I don't really actually want to talk about this thing that happens very much because I don't like it a whole lot. It's basically All for One and Nanashimura. Wait, but Nick, don't you mean... Anyway, Nick, I'm back. What happened? <laughs> So, I don't really want to talk about this chapter very much, Chris, now that you're here. Yeah, okay. It's basically just Shimura and All for One and All for One's brother and Shigaraki all shouting at each other about how much they hate each other. Mm -hmm. uh, while um, Shigaraki and All for One kind of struggle for control. And then also Shigaraki is struggling for control with Nashimura and his brother for One for All. And the first uh, recipient of One for All is like, we are never going to let go go of it to you. We're going to remain with this boy. And Shigaraki goes, Neh. and All for One starts mocking them and is like, we're going to steal them. Come on, brother. You claim you've chosen this. No plan in bluffing. When I know the truth, you've, I've seen it through Tamura's eyes. His incredible power has been wasted on one who could protect neither friend nor teacher. They were forced to defend him. What's more, he's given himself over to blind rage. So conferring this power to someone so worthless was a mistake. And his brother's like, no way. Because he says, Deku rages for the sake of others. For them, he does his best until it can do no more. He is possessed by a drive to save others. Our power is his, and we shall follow him. And Deku goes, ah! And then <laughs> there's a blast, and in the real world, Deku and Shigaraki get separated. And so the struggle has ended. Shigaraki and All for One were not able to take one for all. They're both flying backwards away from the, each other through the air. They're both really beating the fuck up. Uh, and they're both basically trying to stay conscious and keep going because they have things that they want to do. Battle thing's over. We cut over to Gigantamaki is back, and uh, Dobby's says, "All right, well Shigaraki's fighting Endeavor, so all right, nice. Let, let's prep." And uh, he, Mimic's like, "What are you talking about?" And Dobby's like, "We're going to tear down this fake hero society, of course." And he goes, and he looks really happy about this. And he has a sound effect that is beam. So he's yeah. like, we're going to kill everyone. Yeah. Twinkle. <laughs> it's the happiest he's ever looked. <laughs> so Mr. Compress looks over at Toga and is like, hey, are you all right with this? Because I know that you're, you're looking for those UA scamps you love because they're heroes. Are you okay with us killing them? And Toga kind of starts thinking aloud. And she says, where do they draw the line? 
if heroes are supposed to save people, then was Jean not considered a, a person? Will they kill me too? That's what I want to ask Izuku no Chaco. Depending on their answer, I'll be fine. And the last page of the chapter is this split uh, between Toga on the top and Uraraka on the bottom, as it seems that they're heading for a clash, because of course Uraraka's group is the only group of people left who could, who could conceivably stop Gigantamaki and company. Yep. Uh, so this last part of the chapter is way more interesting to me than the rest. So, so I, I, you're you're much more of a My Hero fan than I am. Is like the the ongoing storyline of All for One and One for All and the parentage of Shigaraki. Like, is all that like really fascinating stuff to the general My Hero fan base? I have no idea. I don't okay. like tend to participate in too many like fan reaction discussions and stuff like that. Uh, I can tell you that I am considerably more interested in the thing just between Shigaraki and Nanashimura, which seem to kind of get brushed aside a bit. Like there's a, there's a couple panels dedicated to it in this exchange where Shigaraki's like, Hey, by the way, I hate you too. Just like my dad did. And that's just kind of it. Mm. Uh, and then there's all this stuff between all for one and his brother. And it's like, I mean, I don't know that guy. I don't, I don't know all for one's brother. Yeah. What's his name? Like, <laughs> I don't know who he is. So, uh, and then there's this whole resting for control thing over. And it's just like, I mean, I barely, I, I still barely know who Nana Shimura is. I know that she's got a lot of fans because, you know, she's this, you know, cool looking female, female hero. Um, but we've only seen really like glimpses of, to, of the type of person that she was in the past. We haven't really gotten to know her very well before this moment. So to see this big exchange that she's having with her faded rival doesn't really have a lot of an impact with me. And uh, then, go ahead. No, I was going to say, because that's where I'm at, where I'm like, hey, I wasn't super invested throughout all this. I'm like, maybe it's just because I'm not crazy invested in my hero either. Like, I enjoy it. But generally, like, the deeper lore of it kind of bores me if it's not presented the right way. I don't know. Something about, like, the metaphysical battle for the soul. Like, whatever fucking Kingdom Hearts headspace this is supposed to be taking. Yeah. Like, this battle's taking place in, you know? It's just... I don't know. It's not bad. I'm not like, oh, this is awful. But I'm just like, yeah, it's just not going to hit me the way that this is supposed to like this big two-page spread of deku flying forward even though half of his body is missing it just doesn't have the emotional impact i i'm sure i'm supposed to have and also there's just this whole like there's doing the struggle over uh, one for all and it's just a bunch of characters holding their hands out while uh, waves yeah. around them and it's like you know what if they had Kamehameha's coming out of their hands, yeah. then... Yeah, if there was a giant energy blast in the middle and it was like, we have to keep pouring energy into this. It's amazing how much, like, a few, you know, things outlining a white beam can make a difference for... <laughs> really can. I... It's gotta be... It's going to be hell, right? To, like, when they animate this. It's definitely going to give old school anime fans like Dragon Ball flashbacks, right? We're like, holy shit, when does this fight against Shigaraki end? Shit's still going. Yes. <laughs> Hello. 
we got a little bit uh, distorted there. Oh. So hopefully I'm back. Yeah, you're back. I was just saying it's gonna it's gonna feel like one of those old school Dragon Ball fights when this gets animated, where you're just like, holy shit! Like they fucking went to a headspace. They're still fucking doing this fight. Ah. Uh, yeah. I had that uh, moment. I, watch. Good. No, no, you go ahead. I was gonna say I just had that moment thinking about it, watching the uh, Dragon Ball Z when I was they were fighting Boo, and I was like, "Finally, all right, well, Gogeta will put an end to this. This storyline's gonna end now." <laughs> I'm being like, "What the fuck?" It's still like thirty episodes later, being like, "We're still fighting Boo." Oh my god, yeah, I never really considered that. That that after they kind of like pop. When you think about it, yeah, they there's pop like said and it's. There's like six false finishes in the Boo fight. Like Gohan gets a false finish. Go Tranks or whatever they call Go that. Go Tanks has a false finish. Uh, there's I don't know. There's like Gogeta has a false. Finish. Like there's so fucking many. Boo does the self destruct thing at one point. Yeah. And yeah, and when you think about it, there's not really actually a break from when they go into Boo and rip out the Boo pod thing, so he turns into Kid Boo. Like, he flies around the universe and stuff, but it's not like they go off anywhere to do something else. They're just immediately like, let's go back and fight him again. <laughs> so it's it might as well just be the same fight that that's yeah. happening. So. Anyway, uh, yeah, most of this chapter was just very uninteresting to me, uh, but the idea of, oh, okay, we're going to, you know, reference this, you know, this weird character relationship that's going on with with Toga and Uraraka. Toga's a more interesting character as, as a villain to follow than All for One is. So the fact that it's like, hey, lesser known character, uh, lesser used characters are headed for a, a clash. That's something that's like, all right, well, at least that'll be something different for me. So yep. let's talk about Kaiju number eight. Okie dokie. Chapter number 13. So last time everyone was heading off on uh, Kafka and Company's first mission, and uh, we see that you know Hoshina, of course, has issued commands to everyone, and he's like, "All right, get out there, blow the socks off your senior officers." We see Kafka first, and Kafka's thinking to himself, "All right, you know, I, I can tell this suit. What, I can tell that the suit will give me what I need now. You know, I'm not like how I was at the exams. Combat power unleashed." And one of the smaller, one of the Yoju just tramples over and boom, <laughs> flings him up into the air. So everyone's like, oh my God, you know, this, this guy's still got the 1% combat potential unleashed from his suit, so it's barely helping him at all. Um, one of the, uh, I believe, more experienced uh, cadets says, oh my God, we've got, you know, babysit the rookies here. So he sh calls out to everyone, hey, we don't know the enemy's weak spots. So until we get intel from the front line, we need to be careful about this. But then when, as one of the Yoju is coming up, uh, Kikoro uh, just destroys it, blam, 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 tears it apart. And she's like, yeah, I understand. I'll very carefully hit every possible weak point, sir. So <laughs> shows him. Um, Kikaru, uh gets congratulated by Kafka, who's buried under some rubble immediately. He says, hey, good job! <laughs> and, uh, so she tries to, you know, be kind of like, you know, Ice Queen Cinderella, but I was like, of course, I'm so great! And then her suit says, heart rate rapidly increasing because her heart goes doki-doki, and I'm kind of like, 
don't you go down this direction. Yeah, okay? I'm hoping it's just the, no, I don't really like being praised kind of thing and not the like, yeah. oh, senpai noticed me kind of thing. Yeah, the, I mean, I don't think it is, but I've been trained to <laughs> yeah. to believe that every female male partnership has a romantic undertone when it comes to shonen manga. And there are certain kinds of those that I don't like their being in. So uh, We cut to a different uh, zone where Furuhashi is, not Fumino, but the blonde guy who is one of the rookies. And uh, he's like dashing around and stuff. Uh, Reno uh, is interacting with him. And uh, as they're talking, suddenly Furuhashi gets distracted when he looks at one of the corpses and is like, oh, wait, this thing's down. And uh, uh, that's not Reno. Sorry, Ichikawa is Reno's is Reno's other name. Ichikawa took out the thing that he was dashing around, and so they're like, "Wait, did you just beat that thing by yourself?" And Ichikawa was like, "Yeah, I swapped out the rounds in my gun for these freeze rounds, and I think that they suit me better. So, you know, once I get the hang of them, I'm gonna I'm just gonna be really good at hunting kaiju." And he's just kind of like pushing forward, and it's. Nice to get a reminder that Ichigawa has kind of been Kafka's sidekick through much of the series, but he's actually the one between them who just has the more potential. Mm. He's, you know, younger and he's still in the same place as Kafka, and he didn't need any help to get in Kafka's position. So, uh, But also he's thinking to himself as they're going through this, like, hey, I'm going to get so strong that you're not going to have to transform. So he wants to protect his friend. Yeah. Uh, we also get a few glimpses of some of the other rookies, and uh, I'm going to have to learn these names eventually uh, because they are part of Kafka's rookie group, uh, Kaguragi and Izumo. Uh, there's one more experienced girl who immediately is like, those boys are handsome, mama want. Uh, that's basically what she says. Like, Pretty much. Uh, and then we get over to Kafka and like kill reports are coming in and Kafka is observing everyone's progress because there are apparently that's apparently it's like an FPS where you can check the scoreboard and see people's kills. Uh, and he realized, oh, man, everyone's doing really well. He's like, I've got to do something. I, I, I can't just fall behind everyone. And then he thinks about what that one recruit was saying about you know, not knowing the enemy's weaknesses. So it, was, it was like, I've got some weapons. I've got to use them. And so suddenly he goes corpse diving into one of the dead Yoju. And so he just starts pulling it apart and he's like, oh, the suit makes it way easier for me to do this as he's pulling into it and he's analyzing its structure. And very soon afterward, he contacts Hoshina. He's like, I found where the core of this is. It's at the base of the neck. Uh, there's this, you know, there are these hard spot muscles that act as the spine and the weaker officers might need to flank them. And uh, also, They've got reproductive organs. So these things could spawn from their corpses. So watch out for that. And so Oshina's like, oh, well, good job analyzing yeah. that. So they share the information out to everyone. And he congratulates Kafka on doing a good job. And this is something that I had kind of like forgotten about Kafka. It's like, oh, right. His job was to take apart kaiju, so of course he has experience recognizing the organs of their corpses, and he utilized that information to be helpful, so that's cool. Uh, and so he, of course, thinks to himself, all right, you know, I'm going to keep going from here, and eventually I'm going to make it to Mina's side, 
But then suddenly there is this gunshot that resounds across the sky. And he looks over his shoulder as Oshina says, hey, take a good look. You see that over there? And Mina has a gun. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know how to describe even, it. It's basically like an old school mounted cannon with the long ass barrel and she's just carrying it on, you know, like you would a minigun, uh, you know, under style with both her hands. And she fires this cannon at the main kaiju and blows its goddamn head apart. As Hoshina says to Kafka, that's what the person you're aiming to stand beside is capable of. So, fun chapter. This is a good chapter. Uh, I think the moment that stands out for me more than anything... Honestly, it's not even Kafka, although he has a good chapter. Uh, this is a great chapter for Reno. It, it's only like two pages long, but this is a character who I was kind of reaching the point where I was forgetting and really was starting to lack kind of any real identity to him as Kafka took more of a sage and then Kikoro kind of took over as like uh, the most important side character around them. Uh, but having him have this kind of ingenuity on top of this this drive to want to be better specifically to make it so his mentor will never have to reveal his power as his way of kind of protecting him is a really cool and clean character motivation. So I, I really do like where they're going with Reno. Yeah. It's amazing how, I mean, like this chapter is, it's only 21 pages long yeah. and so many characters get a moment. Kafka, Ichikawa, Mina, Kikoru, like even the you know more minor characters in their group they get little shows of promise like this and it's like geez that's freaking economic storytelling right there that all that gets accomplished so yeah uh all right let's talk about in zero nick uh this in zero chapter 114 glue nick it is the end of an era is it yes i am no longer using crunchyroll manga it is done. Oh, gotcha. It is done. It is gone. Uh, if you hadn't heard, Comixology has recently added Zero to its Unlimited program. So basically, if you have the Unlimited program with uh, Comixology, you can get just get all the chapters there. Uh, I, I believe it comes from the same translation. I'm not exactly sure who translates because I don't they don't credit anybody in the chapter itself. So I, but I believe it's the same yeah, translation from Crunchyroll. Well, this turn crunchy roll. I don't believe like did this. either. So the big, well, no, I, I, yeah, that's a, that is the thing that they don't do. Yeah. So. so I was just gonna say. So I'm done with crunchy roll. Uh, but if you're looking for a new place, like I am, because you can't stand crunchy rolls, reader, Comixology is the place. Not that I'm really trying to plug an Amazon company, um, but we have to work with what we got right now. Uh, so chapter one fourteen glue. Uh, the big robots showed up because they're on this planet full of angry robots. Um, and they basically fight a whole bunch of robots. There's not a whole lot of content at the start of this chapter. Every character gets like a moment to do something and kind of gets a cool line or something like that. But it, it, it's just another combat scene. Yeah, pretty much. It's just, you know, what you would expect each character to do, given their demonstrated power set thus far. Yeah. Uh 
we cut I mean, over you know, to Weiss just pulls out a gun. He doesn't yeah. even do anything special. Bang, so. bang, bang. Uh, the I don't even remember her name, and I don't think it's gonna matter. The food reviewer girl uh, is like, I fight too, and she just tries to bite one of the robots' head. So it's good to know that one joke will be kept going forward. Uh, we cut over to sister and yep. clean. Sister is giving clean sort of like a checkup, being like, okay, cool. And clean is just like, you know, I kind of, you don't have to fix me if you don't want. They're like, yeah, but if you get better, then you can leave. She's like, but I kind of like everybody here, so I don't really want to leave. Sister's like, then don't. No one's making you leave. She's like, but my brother. And we get a flashback to a moment where Jin and, or, or no, Chris, I think is his name, right? Jin was his, his robot name, but Jin is actually his name. Something like that. I have to look it up at some point. I'm going to call him Chris, though, because Chris is cool, and so is Jin, right? Uh, so Chris is just like, hey, Clean has a disorder. If she shows any emotion, it causes a big mental breakdown. That's why she wears this device. She's like, okay, well, something must have caused that, right? And and Chris doesn't say anything. So she's like, all right, well, if you won't tell me, then I'll just ask Clean. And Chris grabs her by the collar. He's like, the one thing you'll never do is ask her about the past. And I don't know why it kind of bothered me that, like, sister gives him. Like, obviously, Chris is being very aggressive and an aggro in this moment. But I don't know why sister immediately met. She's like, is that any way to talk to your physician? And I was like, I don't know. I feel like as a physician, your first thought should be like, oh, well, maybe I definitely should not do that then. But instead, it, you know, we're just going to everybody just has to be very macho in this scene. And Chris. Yeah, it's it's just her way of being confrontational. Yeah. You know, like if it were a character like Witch, they would probably just like no sell it. But she's the more aggressive, sadistic character, so she's got to match the intensity. But you could still do that in a way that makes her seem like she actually cares about Clean in the moment when she's defying him. There's a better way to do it. He ba- Chris basically just walks away saying, if she ever remembers her past, then not even that device will be able to contain her feelings. So please, whatever you do, don't ask her. So it's, it does seem like Sister is holding to that. There's an emergency. Bunch of robots are going to attack a ships. Laguna and Chris are going to help as well as clean. Moscoy does a stupid line. Hermit says he's annoying and tells him to go away. Very good. I'm glad we had this moment. Shiki I'm and everybody. I'm so glad that Moscoy is here. Yep. He's such an important, necessary character. But. That- Every scene he's in better and elevated. Now he has new gimmicks because now he doesn't just say Moscoy. He will also uh, do impressions. Yes. So there's that to look forward to. So not it's only a, is he a one note character. He do impressions. So. <laughs> he, it's not that he will only do one. He's like a one note character. He'll do impressions of every other character's one note jokes. So he got that to look forward to. So what do we even need them for? Yeah, <laughs> really? It should just be a story about Moscow. Uh, the crew on Forresto run into like a tiny little egg shaped robot. Uh, and the robot's like. It's the part that I've been looking forward to, Chris. The robot's like. It falls down. It's very clumsy. It's a very tiny, pathetic robot. It just has like little chicken wings. It's like, we don't want to fight. The bots are not our enemy. And. You know, they're like, no, there are good robots, too. Many of us don't want to do anything, but we're all being killed by people from off world. They said they would wipe out all machines on the planet, but that's not fair. And some of us robots are still good. And the ones who are, they're not choosing to. Chicky's like, 
yeah, this is all Grandpa's fault. So the little Eggbot's like, help us! I don't want to die! Shiki's like, okay, you're gonna be okay. And the little Eggbot's like, thank you! Thank you! <laughs> and then it gets sniped. <laughs> The most grandiose fucking way. I laughed so much when this happened. I don't know how you possibly not laugh at that moment because it's so fucking funny. I don't want to die. Don't worry. We'll protect you. Thank you. Just blown the fuck away. And Shiki's like, Eggbot! Except he doesn't say that because he doesn't know the robot's name because this fucking character didn't exist long enough to have a name. <laughs> I was just praising Kaiju number eight for economy of storytelling in terms of like, oh wow, a lot c- accomplished in this chapter. You can go too far with it, as Eden Zero demonstrates on a regular basis. <laughs> Don't need to go through everything so fast. Like, what if this little robot was in just the previous chapter? Yeah. Like, he was Coco's little friend or something like that. <laughs> something along those lines. Something, we literally meet it for two pages, three pages, and then it's shot in the head and killed. And this is definitely meant to be a very heavy emotional crux for Shiki and the rest of the group. Because they're all like, oh my god, I can't, this bad guy did it, we're gonna have to stop this bad guy. It's like, like, sometimes I think hero has like a clock in his house and like if it ever reaches the end if he hasn't finished like 59 gigantic stories he'll die and every so often someone comes <laughs> in and pushes it a little bit forward he's like ah now i have to wrap up six chapters at once <laughs> but he really doesn't compl- but he's the one doing it <laughs> so yes he's like oh no now i'm gonna have to put six storylines <laughs> together into one chapter oh, no but every time that he throws in an unnecessary ass or boob shot the clock goes back down <laughs> yeah that's how he keeps getting more time there's like a fetish wall that changes and it's like tickling fetish is in i have to put it in this week (laughs) he writes it on the day before (laughs) um so one of the dudes from before comes in i don't remember his name and i to be quite frank do not care because this character seems to have the exact same personality as pretty much every other hero villain in existence he's maniacal crazy dude Let's call him Dime Store Perospero because that's who okay. he reminds me of. So. Absolutely. So Dime Store Perospero is like, ah, that deserves a thank you, doesn't it? I killed that robot. And Cheeky's, of course, like, you should be saved. Sorry. So the guy has his little his little cane gun and he shoots a bunch of glue out of it and it sticks Cheeky to a tree and then he just shoots everybody. And that's pretty much how the chapter ends. Yeah. <laughs> And you're just like, all right, satisfying conclusion this week. Yeah. Um, I'm glad. Chapter. I, I, I'm glad, by the way, that the chapter is called Glue exclusively because the main power's villain is Glue and there's no other, like, connective element in the rest of the chapter anywhere. <laughs> no. It was kind of like, up until that moment, I was like, oh, that's why it's called Glue. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, why is it called uh, Glue? Oh, because he fights with Glue, okay. The stuff with Clean, I'm glad that they're actually establishing some stuff for these characters who are joining the crew. No, uh, I, I don't know exactly how I feel about her and Gina's characters yet, but I'm glad that... 
And also, I'm glad that she brought up the point of like, hey, when I get fixed, I don't, I don't want to leave. And sister's like, well, I mean, that's fine. You can just stay here. But she's like, yeah, but my brother doesn't want to. So she's kind of like aware that the only reason they're there is because she has to get fixed. And like, that's the only reason that Gene's uh, uh, not like, okay, we're leaving now. So it's nice that they actually are establishing that as a thing of like, oh, when she joins the crew full time, then that, then it'll be like an actual, like she you know, decides yeah. to do it kind of thing. Um, but other than that, all the stuff on the planet is stupid. Oh man, that robot getting blown up is so good. <laughs> it's so funny. I, I really could not contain myself when it happened. Just imagine, like, it, it's like if you're playing, like, a video game. It says, oh man, you got it. Please save me. Headshots. <laughs> it's like it's the, the most cartoonishly adorable thing. Like, I'm just a little eggbot. I don't even know what purpose. And I'm clumsy. Why would someone have built me? No one makes sense. But I'm so cute. All right. Let's move on to Chainsaw Man. (laughs) Chapter 88. Star Chainsaw. So Denji's doing pretty goddamn well uh, in this eight-on-one fight that he's in. He's already killed Champo and the Katana Devil guy again and now the flamethrower devil is stepping in holds up his barrels like burn for me baby and fires flame up through the ground i believed and just basically lights the entire building that denji's in on fire denji jumps away and lands somewhere else the whip devil comes in and tries to attack and then there's just a series of explosions as Rees goes flying up through the building She's grabbed onto Denji by his tongue scarf thing and is trailing him behind her. Not tongue scarf, intestine scarf. Tongue scarf is Greninja. Uh, so Denji responds by just <laughs> cuts her apart, uh, starts to fall. The spear devil throws his spear, which sticks right through Denji's shoulder and, and sticks into him. And then Makima, still seemingly on the same building she was in at the start of all this, points her hand up in the air and... Just goes bang with her hands. And an explosion or an impact knocks Denji up through the sky. And she keeps on doing it. She's just bang, 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 bang. And each time Denji gets knocked through the air until he is sent into the stratosphere. And she says as he is trailing away from the planet, how long can Chainsaw Man hold his breath? Chainsaw Man... Digs what uh, chainsaw into his stomach, pulls out his heart, and Makima goes, he removed his heart. Denji proceeds to make a pitching stance and throw the heart back to the earth, which regenerates as it burns up. So he's fine again. <laughs> Flies down to, to the sk- through the sky lances out with all four of his chainsaw arms to snare his enemies with his chains. So the spear devil, the whip devil, the flame door devil, and Makima all get wrapped up. And Makima's making a really weird expression on her face somewhere between I'm so high right now and what is even happening. And they all get 
pulled up into the sky with Denji, who cuts all of them in half. And that's the end of the chapter. That's it. I, I don't know what to think about Chainsaw Man. Like, the past, like, month, I feel like every chapter is like, Chainsaw Man's a thing. I don't know if it's good or bad, because I have zero clue where this is going. This really feels like someone was like, you couldn't just go really off the deep ends and jump. Fujimoto's like, you want to bet on it? <laughs> like two chapters ago, Chainsaw Man was on a date with Kobeni, who was, <laughs> who was being forced to do DDR. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's, where is this going? I don't know, but it's a fun ride. It's entertaining. <laughs> it's entertaining. I have zero clue what's happening right now. Ah, uh, but you know where I do have a clue about what's happening? What's happening, Chris? Maguchan, God of Destruction. Hell yeah. I don't actually, but I saw you were drinking water, so I had to fill that time in fill with time. something. That's I right. have no idea what's happening. Podcast. Yeah, I have no idea what's happening in this chapter. Oh, wait, no, now I remember this chapter. This chapter fucking sucks. We'll get into it. Maguchan, God of Destruction, Chapter 15. The Blood-Soaked Pitch Dark Hound. We open with Magu in the wilderness as it's raining. Or I guess he's actually just in the yard near Ruru's house. And he spots someone and he goes, Halt! State thy name! And then we cut back inside where Ruru is. And uh, the door opens up as Magu returns. And he's like, I have returned. And he's like, he comes, comes through the door saying, I was out hunting! And he has this little pupper carried on top of his head that looks very, very miserable as he pulls it in. And he says, it was a fruitful hunt. He will be my minion. <laughs> so Mago wants to meet, make the doggo his new minion. Ruru says, put him back where you found him <laughs> immediately. But Magu says, he doesn't seem to possess a name, so I shall call him. Blood-soaked pitch-dark hound! Which Ruru, of course, objects to. She asks where the hell this puppy came from, and Magu says, well, he collapsed in the rain. So Ruru says, oh, he must, be, he must be a stray. I feel bad that he got left out in this rain. Well, I guess we better get, get dry him off and get him warm. And Magu is like, yes, accept the grace of this god, and is toweling off the little pupper. Who, of course, immediately takes a little bit of a liking to Magu. And uh, so Ruru's like, all right, well, he can stay here until the rain stops, but we're going to have to find, you know, someone to adopt him. But Magu's like, no, Naputaku has his army of hermit crabs, and Uneris has the white-winged messenger pigeon. My colleagues each have their own loyal minions. I require my own minion for there to be balance. So Ruru's like, you're not ready for a pet. You're not responsible, kind of, kind of momming him. But Magu said, uh, and she also points out, we can't keep a dog. I mean, like, having you around already is, you know, kind of a drain. You know, we don't have the money to own a pet. So Magu says, in that case, you may bestow offerings meant for me to him instead. And he's like, yeah, you know, it'll, it'll slow down my regeneration, but so be it. And he starts to pull out some, some natto so that uh, the blood-soaked pitch black hound of darkness or whatever he is, the the full title he bestowed on the dog was is and when Ruru sees this she's like alright well you, 
we can't just keep a dog, but the dog's whining up at her. And she's like, all right, fine, but, you know, it's going to be really difficult. Can you take care of him? And Magu's like, I shall tame him. So Magu is training the bloodstained pitch dark hound. Uh, and he's showing him around the place. And he's like, this box shall be your lavatory. Dispatch your excrement here. And all this. And uh, the dog actually appears to be listening, which shocks Ruru. And Magu explains like, yeah, I'm sharing my thoughts with him. I'm transmitting orders directly to his brain. And he doesn't really, you know, have very good answers for me, but I he, I can understand yes and no responses. Now I shall teach him to bathe. Uh, so Rue is like, you know, that name you keep calling him, that's not very dog-like. Maybe you should give him something a bit more fitting. And Magu's like, very well, doggone it. Which is like the most dad joke that Magu has made in this entire series, and it was kind of weird. Yeah. So, Rue is like, why don't you just, like, I don't know, call him Shadow or Poochie? And Magu's like, I will take the initials of his new name and shorten it to BS. Which, okay. <laughs> so, Magu takes BS and they take a bath together. He gets him to stamp his paw in the uh, minion book and then they go to bed together and then BS is cuddled up with Magu. The next day comes, the rain has stopped and uh, Magu is like, hmm, he needs a collar to demonstrate his servitude. So he just gets like the coiled up wrapper of a Nato label and it won't like go on BS's neck, but it's like tangling off of his ear like a silly crown. Uh, so they go out walking together and they don't have a leash. So Magu coils one of his tentacles around BS's neck and Rue just holds onto Magu's other tentacle. So that's their leash. Mm. Um, they get some dog food. They head to the park and Magu and BS are playing together. Sorry, Magu is training BS in the ways of being a good minion. Uh, and he's like, you must strike a threatening pose. And BS is just kind of like dancing around in his hind legs instead. Uh, he instructs Ruru to show BS the dance of destruction, which seems very similar to what BS was doing already, but uh, whatever. Uh, then all of a sudden, something catches BS's attention. He starts yapping and whining, and suddenly he takes off after a car, with Magu still coiled around his neck and, of course, getting taken along for the ride. So Magu's like, ah, you have some connection to that car. Then go after it, hunting dog. And they go racing after the car. Eventually, they catch up with it when the car stops at the nice house. And BS runs up and meets a bigger dog, his, his parent, most likely. And there's a family there that's been that's been waiting for him. So that Maru speaks with the family and all the family's happy that BS has been reunited with them. And so Ru carries Magu off and she's like, yeah, I guess it wasn't a stray dog. His collar must have just slipped off. So that's how and that's, you know, he, he got out of the house and he couldn't stand his way back because of the rain. And then he you found him when he was lost, Magu-chan. And Magu says, why are we leaving BS behind? He belongs to me. He should stay with me. And Rue's like, he can't because that's his home. We can't be selfish. But she's crying while holding Magu and taking him back home. We cut to a few days later. 
and Magu's eating the dog food that they bought for BS, and he's all depressed and sad. Uh, We've all been there, right? Yeah, eating dog food. (laughs) You're just depressed, and you're just eating dog food like that. So Rua's like, Magu-chan, cheer up. Look, I I made a little plushie of BS so you won't miss him. And Magu takes it, and he's just like, it's just cloth. It's not the same thing. But then there's yapping at the door. And so they go outside and, oh, BS has come and BS has come to visit. The family's brought him to see to see Magu and Ruru. And uh, the mother says, oh, I wanted to thank you for finding him. And she says, oh, actually, she specifically says, thank you for finding BS. And Ruru's like, oh, his name actually is BS. And she's like, well, we hadn't named him yet. And he seems to enjoy being called the name that you gave him. And Magu observes BS, who starts doing the Dance of Destruction again, and he's licking Magu. And Ruru's like, hey, isn't this great? You know, after after they're gone, you know, she, you've trained him really well, and she said we could come by to see him anytime. Isn't that great? And Magu said, he said he'd not forget his training, even when in that house. Uh, and Ma- and Ruru's like, oh, he actually had a like, more complicated thought, and Magu's like, yes. He could share his thoughts. Lonely creatures do grow so fast. I look forward to when we can meet again. I hope you grow up strong and mighty, my minion. That's the end. Magu made a little friend. Nick, I'm going to give this chapter my lowest score ever. This is a negative 900 out of 10. And why is that? They should have kept the motherfucking dog. I don't don't care. No, it's bullshit. They don't keep the dog. This is a perfectly good story. They should have kept the goddamn dog. All right? You just don't write that he's a stray dog from another family. He found a cool fucking stray dog and they're best friends. That's where the story should keep going because they had the best fucking relationship and they shouldn't have had to give him away. And the story is going to be infinitely worse without BS in every fucking chapter. It's the dumbest move a manga could have made because you showed me how fucking awesome and how cool this series is going to be. And now it's not going to be like that anymore. That's a fucking negative 9,000 out of 10 chapter. The part of the chapter where Magu's being carried away and he's just like, why are we leaving him behind? He belongs to me. Oh my God. I agree. He belongs to you, Magu. I'd be upset too. This is a very bad move. So I don't like dogs, Chris. Mm -hmm. So I don't get sentimental for dogs. So it's a good thing that BS is a loyal minion of Magu and not a dog because he's cute and precious as shit. And he's a good boy. Mm-hmm. And uh, I love this chapter. So I'm sure that we'll see BS again. It's uh, not the same. The opportunity rise. I know he's not going to be a dog all everywhere. But uh, I think that this is was very precious. And uh, I'm glad that it happened. I, the moment for me is when she's just like, ah, I can't keep a dog with you already. It's too expensive. And his face is like, then you may give him my offerings instead. His eyes have like the veins and everything. He's like, no, neither you do this and you can keep the dog that way. Let me keep him. <laughs> and I love like, it's through this Magu filter. It's through the whole, you know, he will be my minion, but he's just like, I want my dog. I want my dog. He's so, look at him. He, he does the dance of destruction. <laughs> Let me have him. You know, it's, it's very cute. All right, Nick, let's finish off our right. dessert before we have to have our peas with the last chapter. We never learn 
Question 177. A pizza bet equals tomorrow night's Pixie Part 9. See, the dessert is the Asumi chapter, and the, the peas is going to be the gross, shitty Kirisu chapter route that follows this. So, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, we have to finish our dessert, and then we We're have to eat our vegetables. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so... We start in a flashback of all the little various moments throughout Asumi and Uega's life through the eyes of Uega, seeing when he met her, when they first started to kind of know each other, and then eventually, you know, the more intimate moments to share as he wakes up, and Asumi's like, hey, your breakfast is ready, and she's doing the whole maid gimmick and everything like that, um, and then he comes out. And he's just like, oh, hey, you know, we're having breakfast. And we can see that there are photographs of the trip now that the two of them have taken to Doha Chan Land. Which, yeah, they actually have pictures of them actually dating now. Yeah, which is a little confusing because the timeline for this chapter is kind of odd. But hey, yeah. maybe it's here just here to set us up for uh, the time travel chapter or arc we're going to get next time. This was this is like a month after the previous chapter, and it seems like they've done a lot in that month. <laughs> they also decide because so basically they, they they share kind of like a cute, almost like a married couple moment. It's a lot less of like a new boyfriend girlfriend moment than like we've been married yes. for a couple like a year or so moment where he's just like, oh honey, your tie's not straight. He's just like, I'll make breakfast for you next time, dear. That kind of thing. So they go, they share a little kiss, and, and Uigo rides his little scooter around town as Asumi's, like, you know, very happy just to ride in the back, and you know, give him that, that hug around the chest the whole time. They say hi to everybody. Uh, the other PE girl, whatever her fucking name is, just like, oh, your injury's all better. I'd be so worried if anything happens to you. And Asumi's like, I'll fucking kill you. <laughs> Don't you fucking do this. That's my man. Cram you, hussy. Yeah. Uh, and then the townspeople, this is what confused me, because the townspeople are like, I'm glad you're better. Let's have a party to celebrate you not being dead. I was like, but they went to Doha Chan Land. So, like, this is like a month he later. He rolled a roller coaster. <laughs> yeah, I was like, this is a month later. They were like, yeah, we should have that party, I guess, now. <laughs> uh, so they decide. They they do have this big beach party. There's a bunch of little scenes of everybody kind of having fun. Uh, Asumi's parents are there, and they start kind of, wist you know, wistfully reminiscing about, you know, when their daughter first tried to become a doctor, and, you know, the difficulties of it, how, you know, he has some issues with uh, Uega's father's death, and it always caused him self-doubt about a doctor and everything like that. He's like, you know what? It it's just my small-minded ego, and I never thought that it would be my daughter who would actually teach me that lesson. We're, you know, talking about the whole big surgery she just had to do. So they, they kind of just say, like, well, you know what? She's going to be a great, a great doctor. Uh, and then two old drunk guys are just like, what are we celebrating tonight? Oh, yeah, you guys are having a baby. So uh, they're like, no, wait, are you crazy? We're not having a baby yet. But the dad hears this and immediately is just like, but you, you, you plan to in the future, then. Yes, is it going to be a boy or a girl? You'll let me name it, right? So... There's a little fun little moment there. Um, eventually, the two of them separate. They go off, and they're kind of looking over the ocean. Asumi's, like, feigning herself down. She's just like, ah, oh, man, he's so annoying, my dad. Uh, and Uyga's just like, but you know what? I kind of appreciate that he never changed. Uh, never changes. And Asumi's like, oh, Kohai. He's like, hey, you called me Kohai again. She's like, oh, yeah, I guess. Sorry. I'm still not used to it. Not a Yuki. And she's so, like, blushing and nervous as she says it. 
And Uega just starts laughing because she's like, fuck it, you're teasing me, you asshole. Uh, they like basically fall into a hug and, and Sumi just kind of starts being grateful. She's like, I'm so glad you're alive. You know, I was so worried. I was so scared. But even so, I'm so glad I chose medicine. So thank you for living. Thank you. And Uega just says, will you marry me? And he's like, yeah, I figure in the future we could run the clinic together. But but most of all, I never want to be separated from you again. And she says, you know, I felt that I want that too. But, you know, I'm still planning to be a doctor and everything. So let's look forward to it, Dad. And that's how the chapter ends. They are going through this relationship fast. <laughs> <laughs> They've been dating for like a month and they're like, we need to get married and have babies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's some very cute things in there. Um, there's uh, definitely I was confused at the dad comic because I thought that was her actually confirming she is pregnant. At Well, first I thought she was doing like the weird like, yeah, I can't wait, daddy, like that kind of awful, creepy thing that people do. But then I thought she was like, oh, no, that's a confirmation she's pregnant. I'm like. Oh, wait, no, I think that's just supposed to be playing off the fact that they were jo- they had the whole thing about, oh, the they're misunderstanding going to one day have a baby. Yeah. And so I think that they're basically confirming with each other, like, yeah, I want to do that, too, because because, you know, Asumi says, like, I want that for us. And he was like, oh, you made a baby. Oh, and so, yeah. you know, they want to spend the rest of their lives together. And that's sweet. So. Um. This is just kind of the wrap up chapter. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's all right. Um, this story in general has been very good, and I'm glad that it was the quality that it was, especially because you know Asumi is such a a fun character that we both really enjoy. So I'm glad that her that her story was was really good. Uh, and yeah, uh, after this is the Kirisu one, and then. Presumably it ends of the series. Like, I mean, there might be something afterwards. You never know. They might do some thing that's just like, you know, maybe they'll cut back before all that and just have a more ambiguous ending than just mm-hmm. having a whole like, and then Kirisu and Yuga were married and that's where the series ends, which would be a little bit odd. I think to have any one of them be like, and that's the conclusion we're going with. I feel like there will probably be like a little cap on everything after we get all five of these stories. Um, but yeah, I guess we'll see how that one goes. We've kind of run the gambit between these stories of like the one that feels the most stereotypically romantic, the one that's just kind of lame, the one that's all right. And the one that's really good. Mm-hmm. And uh, who knows what that fifth. <laughs> and we need the gross it. one. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I do really enjoy this chapter. I think it's very sweet. There's a lot of little cute moments in it. Uh, I also do appreciate, and maybe this is a big part of the reason why it works. This is, uh, her route did not involve any of the other girls in any way, shape or form. They aren't even really referenced at all. So maybe that's because unlike the other girls, Asumi didn't have kind of the same relationship with the other girls as they did with each other. You know, they didn't, they weren't in the same class or anything like that. So maybe there just wasn't like an emotional connection there, but I definitely think that worked to the series strengths on this little arc because we never had to really like pull attention away to anyone else. This is just, Hey, these two fall in love on this Island. And it's very, very sweet. 
All right. Let's move on to Dr. Stone. Time to get Stone, Nick. Z equals 169, Risk or Heart, which is really strange title. So no, no, Nick. It's it's asking. It's it's a question. Would you rather play Risk or would you rather play Hearts? Which is weird because they're very different games. So you kind of you're, you're kind of asking a very wide spectrum. Like, do you want to play Tetris? Do you want to play Call of Duty? Like, I don't know. Those aren't really comparable. But I guess Call of Duty at this moment, I don't know. <laughs> so Senku has just spoken with the Doctor uh, among Zeno's uh, uh, forces. Uh, who has kind of come to an agreement with them regarding the protection of their prisoners and what's going to happen. But we get further exploration and confirmation on some things that we were expressing concern and confusion about last week uh, in this chapter of, well, what the hell are they splitting the party? What's going to happen to all those people that we saw that are just going to get left behind in corn country here. And Suica brings that up explicitly, like, we're just going to say goodbye to them. And everyone's like, ah, ah. And Taiju specifically, you know, is like, oh, Kusuriha and, and everyone. Uh, so Senku says, look, we've got no time to lose here. We've got to get the corn city going. We've got, to, and in order to do that, we need, you know, people. And so we have a lot of shit to do because they've got to go to the moon. So, uh, Everyone on the ship is, you know, privy to this conversation as they're like, what? So we just have to, you know, finish doing the negotiations here. And Magma points out, we don't even speak the same language as these guys. <laughs> so Yuzuriha asks openly, like, does anyone else here, does anyone here speak English? And uh, Minami's like, well, I'm a reporter, so I do know English, but who else? And Nikki's like, I mean, I know some English because, you know, I was big into Lillian, and so I wanted to understand the lyrics. And so Nami gets on the cell phone to communicate with the doctor and is like, well, okay, our first main request is to guarantee everyone's safety here. And he's like, hey, look, we're in charge here in this situation. We've got the strength to back it up, so why, why should I listen to you? And Nikki just starts shouting over the, over the, the microphone. Like, Shut up and untie us! Untie everyone now! And he's like, well, listen, that comes later. You've got to tell us the secret. It's like, and just shouting through the microphone to the point that she somehow intimidates him even through that. So, and, uh, so that seems to have gone well. And she says, listen, our friends are battling out there. So we're supposed to play nice and revive a million people for for Corn City. Our interests aligned there. So if you're offering a, a hand to us, I will shake on it. A civil agreement's our only option here. So the doctor's like, you know what? I like you. You've got you've got spirit. So uh, so we'll do this. We'll seal this fr- this friendly deal as provisional president. So we get this visual of them like at a peace conference in nice suits, shaking hands, and it's kind of it's it's very silly, but I kind of like it. So, so they've come to an agreement on this. And so Yo and Yuzuriha and everyone else, they're untied. And uh, it's like, all right, we're going we're gonna to exist in peace here. But the doctor points out, hey, you know, we know you've got Zeno and we know you're fleeing, but we can't stop Stanley. So just so you know, and he's thinking to himself, like, I mean, they're going down the river. They're going to pass the boat and they're going to pass Stanley. How are they going to make it past into the ocean? 
and we cut to Stanley on the boat as he's like, Senku, how are you alive? And uh, he spots a plane, not a plane. Sorry, I got confused about what's happening. So he spots something. <laughs> In the seamless transition that Dr. Stone has been doing for the past couple of weeks, impossible. possible. It's very difficult to actually follow this sequence up until a certain point. So Stanley spots something on the bow of the ship that is approaching them as Senku is leading the boat past the Perseus. And so he grabs a machine gun from somebody and takes aim quickly and fires at it. And they're like, oh my god, there's a Medusa over there. And so, and Humura is the one who specifically has spotted it. Uh, and so Yuzuriha immediately gets an idea and she calls everyone over into a quick huddle. And they're all like, oh no, the Petra Beam, run, run! Uh, so a bunch of people actually dive off of the ship because they're like, shit, uh, but Stanley just very calmly fires at the device, knocks it off the prow, and it falls into the water harmlessly. And then the boat flies by at a maximum speed because he was distracted just aiming for that. And so they're past the Perseus and heading out to the ocean. And now Stanley, that he's had a very brief moment to, to, to think about, he's like, I get it. So that Gen asshole was just lying. There, There's a petrification device, but it it doesn't work. It was just a bluff. All right. But now that's, that that's happened, they move past, uh, the Perseus and, uh, all the people who were causing the distraction on the Perseus start waving to them. And they're like, they're going to make it. They're going to make it. But Taiju of course spots Yuzuriha and, uh, he's got this big grimace on his face. So Chrome says, Hey guys, come on. We gotta, we gotta go say goodbye. And no fun yoga is like, hey, if you want to go out and say goodbye, you're going to possibly get shot. So is that actually worth the risk? And Taiju sees Yuzuriha out in the distance calling out to him. And Chrome says, you bet. And so everyone raises their hands up in the sky as they shout out to each other. We'll see you later. And as everyone is raising up their fists in a way that no maritime goodbye has ever happened in manga ever <laughs> uh stanley realizes as all the people who are being left behind in corn city raise up their fists they're blocking my line of sight so he can't aim past them in order to get any more shots off and taiju says we'll meet again we'll definitely meet again we're going to build cities all over the world and senku says that's right we're going to be playing keep away with stanley and his people as we voyage around the globe and our next de destination is South America, where the first Petrovim originated thousands of years ago. So what did you think of this, Chris? Uh, I wanted to like it more than I did. I, I still think this is a cool moment. Um, yes, I think it's kind of rough in a vacuum to be like, we're going to have this big scene where we show that we're separated, but we're united, especially on boats. So what can we possibly say? Because we can't speak across this distance. What gesture will we possibly do? It, look, it, it's just the fact of the matter that One Piece has done one of the most iconic moments of like recent manga history in there. And anything else that, does, that seems remotely like it is going to be compared to it. It's odd. It still works. The issue I have is the biggest part of it, because there's a big thing of, like, who's going where. And to be frank, 
most of the important characters are still with Senku. There isn't actually that many big characters being left behind. It's like Kinro and Ginro if you care about them. And then Yuzuria. I was trying to think of is anyone else even close to them, and it's it's not really. It's a bunch of side characters for the most part. So the big thing there should be Yuzuria and Taiju. Because those are two characters who have a defined relationship going in different directions. And it legitimately, definitely feels like we should have more of a moment shared between them there. Chrome and Ruri uh, separated, of course, when the Perseus first set off. Did they? And, yeah. Okay, I thought Chrome was going with them. No, 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 no. When, oh, when oh okay, gotcha. Off, yeah, okay, gotcha. Chrome and Ruri got that kind yeah, of focus yes. because that was like really the only person of real significance that they were that was not going on the journey with them. It was like her and her and Kohaku's dad were like the only characters who had like a considerable number of lines that were being left behind. And not neither of them you really thought would come along. Ruri maybe, but not really. Oh, and uh, Sukasa's sister, of course, yes, got left yes. behind. But but all that was like, there were so few characters that were being left. It's like, okay, there's enough to just note that this is significant, that they are being left behind, but it's for an understandable reason. But because the crew kind of got like expanded and then now split up this way, it really feels like, okay, either there's going to be, you know, a couple important things and then everyone else, or it should just be like, everyone gets that moment. And yeah. It feels like Yuzuri and Dayu don't really get that, even though she's the most prominent character that's being left behind, and especially in this display. So. There's definitely a moment. There definitely is a look of Taiju looking back, but they don't. And th there's the line of them saying, like, is saying goodbye worth worth the risk? As you see, Taiju has to look off and say goodbye to Yuzuriya. And you hear Chrome saying, you bet, because they're all in it together. They're all sharing their own kind of emotions here and recognize that it's worth this risk for them to be able to at least say goodbye. There is a powerful sentiment there, but you kind of want more attention paid to it, like in terms of size and panel layout and everything else. Dr. Stone has kind of had this issue of just feeling very complicated and hard to follow, like in the past like month or so. And I feel like the pieces are there to be really good, but there's a lot more time and panel space devoted to like big two page spreads or one and a half page spreads rather of boats passing each other and things like that. And I'm like, the, the map of South, the map of South America. Yeah. I was like, the heart of this chapter should ultimately be Usuria and Taiju and you, you base everything else around it. Also, I, I agree with people. I'm happy Nikki has a moment, but her at the start of the chapter just like shouting out is like kind of random and out of nowhere. It was kind of like, oh, we need a moment for Nikki too. Because I'll be honest, she's she's one of the people I considered like a side character. She's one of the ones staying behind. And it's like, look, I mean, yeah, I get it. Your character really doesn't have a defined purpose and everything else. So it was kind of cool for her to have a moment, but you're definitely like, oh, yeah, you're still around. <laughs> Yeah, I, I understand that. I'm a little bit more positive on it, but I definitely understand your problems with it because I still like it. We've well, yeah, we've yeah. seen like this side of Nikki before, but only very occasionally because she's not a constant enough presence that that side of her character is very well established, kind of thing. 
Uh, it's one of those things where it's like you 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 establish character traits by having them be around more often and do stuff frequently. So can you check something? Can you tap your headset mic real quick? Yeah, you're on your headset mic. That's why. Oh, uh, it it sounded. I how long has been like that? It's been the entire episode. I I thought it was a little you bit only off. Only just pointed out to me. Come Cause, on, man. Well, because it's it, it, your mic was closer to your mouth than usual, I believe. I don't really think so. Okay, I'll get it fixed. All right. But it's now your chapter next anyway. So. Yeah, there we go. All right, guys. Let's talk about Mashal Magic and Muscles. If I had it, I would throw on the Bane mask here. But don't you mean Mashal Fred Batman's Butler and Magic and Missiles? <laughs> but I thought I'd end on another, another, another one. <laughs> and, and leave them wanting more. Um,. So this is chapter 34, Mash Burn Dead and the Survival of the Fittest. So last time, uh, Abel got socked in the face with a knee. Uh, so he says, Marianus change! And we get a big cool uh, color spread, two-page color spread for Mashal that uh, is pretty cool looking. I really dig it. Mashal has been doing stupidly well recently as well. So it's a good thing. Um, I can't believe I spent the entire episode. Yeah, that. now it's as well. I was like, I don't know. Maybe Nick's internet's just kind of off today. What are you going to do? It has been kind of off because you sound weird to me. Mm. So how weird? I think it's just I think that that might have actually been distracting us from that. But mm. anyway, there we go. Uh, so there's this big moment like what's happening? And then Mash's body starts turning into a marionette piece by piece. And they're like, ah, I didn't think I would need this spell. But this doesn't mean natural selection isn't still at play. Because the weak are but prey. And Mash has become a marionette. And he's like, when I look at you, I see an unusually clever rabbit. And he just go, he grabs Mash's coin. And he's just like, you were a good sport for a rabbit. But rabbits are rabbits, and they will never be wolves. Hmm? And then he looks, and he's like, no, that's not a coin. It's a cream puff in my hand. What? And he has a moment. He's like, what is this? And you just see the moment. You, you see the movement of an uppercut that just connects with him in the jaw. And Mash grabs the cream puff. He's like, huh, my cream puff. I could have sworn I hid that in my robe. Uh, that's a little joke where love's just like, ew, you keep it in your robe. <laughs> But Abel's like, how did he do that? My my puppetry blocks all signals from the brain. It rests control of the body. He should have been able to move unless a spinal reflex. And basically, to sum it up, basically they say that Mash saw, like, unconsciously in his puppet form, uh, Abel grabbing his cream pup as a threat. And just, like, natural instinct took over the uppercut in him. <laughs> It's so stupid, but very funny. And he's just like, ah, well, whatever. I guess the survival of the fittest demands that the weak fight to protect themselves as well. You put up a worthy struggle, but now I shall crush you with the ultimate spell. Marionette, second death, harm, puppet. And we get this giant spread of this crazy marionette with three heads and all these arms. And it's being controlled by like a, a string monster in the background. And he says, ah, this will turn everything in a hundred meter radius into my puppet. The moment the strings begin to touch you, they will descend upon you, robbing you of control. And there is no way to counter them. 
and you see like half of Mash's body is starting to turn into it. And again, he does. It's. I assume it's part of the joke because he basically does the same speech again. He's like, "You have my respect for a rabbit. You were a worthy challenger, but I, you had, I had too much pride, and I thank you for showing." And then his fucking big spell is just gets punched and obliterated, like obliterated. And Mash is just holding up one of the hands. He's like, "Oh, I'm sorry. Were you about to thank me?" And Abel's just like, "How are you not a puppet?" He's like. I cut the I strings. I do like that. I do like that line because you're just like, "How are you not a puppet?" <laughs> <laughs> Why aren't you a puppet? And basically, he's like, "No, that's not possible." And Love explains it, where she's like, "Right after he used the magic, Mash turned his body in a very specific way, so that part of his body would be contacted by the strings at a different time." And then, right before he lost control of his side, he snapped the strings, controlling him there. And then basically, like, snap the rest afterwards. So everyone's just like, what the fuck? What's happening? And Mash takes a moment to be like, oh, you're sweating, little rabbit. And then he sends his big puppet against him again. And Mash just punches it into oblivion, gets behind him. And he does his whole, like, you know, erector spine, magic, hell fall. But let's be real. He fucking grabs him. <laughs> he flips Label upside down, who has the best expression as he's being flipped upside down. I'm like, what's happening? <laughs> and he jumps in the air, and he just gives him the most vicious pile driver as Abel's like, maybe I was the rabbit. So, I like the pile driver. I like a couple of the jokes. I'm, Love is actually really growing me on, on me just just as a peanut gallery character because she's just so like this is like kind of crazy, you know. Yeah. Um, but this chapter is like it's kind of just feels like a weaker version of the previous one, honestly. Yes. Uh, and I think that the big reason why Mashal's fights are tend to be short is that they kind of just have that structure of for each chapter of it looks like the guy's going to beat up mash and then mash kicks their ass instead. And that's satisfying when it happens. And then it's like, okay, that's over with. We'll move on past that. But then it's like, all right, every time that this guy throws something at mash, he just immediately shrugs it off. And then the longer each fight goes on, the less effective it feels. So this was, I think going a little bit longer, a little bit too long in this, in this battle for me, especially because like, it felt like such a perfect thing to do to have him try and take control of MASH and MASH just uses sheer force of will to break through it and he breaks the guy's fingers through the force of it, of it and then he knees him in the face. Like, that feels like it should have best been the, the end for me. Uh, it's still, it's not bad. It's just, like, I'm saying, like, I didn't like it as much as the last one. So. Oh, yeah. I, I agree. I think last chapter kind of did everything this one did just a little bit better. The pile driver is awesome. I do like some of the moments. There is a hilarity to the moment of like, what? what is this? As he's holding the cream puff as you just see Mash's fist starting to come up at the bottom of the panel. Um, and I, I do get the idea. It's kind of like we're establishing this world. Everyone has these crazy powers. Second spells are really important. So... We had to show off this guy's, but at the same time, like, if it was 
part of the joke. It should have been hammered in more that he just keeps giving the same speech over and over again every time. He's like, now I've won. Yes. Ah, yes, you are the rabbit. And this is the like that should have been part of the gag. But it is definitely even if like even if like love had just said before, you know, he said it this time, just like, oh, here he goes again. Just like a quick little insert. And then he goes on, you know, it would have made a little bit of a difference. So. All right. Ayakashi Triangle, Chapter 16, her first. So last time Matsuri went to go and visit uh, Kurogi, uh, Rayo, Rayo Kurogi, who is Matsuri's uh, Q, uh, his, 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 his gimmick uh, inventor person. Uh-huh. And so we find out that uh, as Matsuri is getting ready to take on this, like, literal barrel shaped robot thing uh, for a bit of a training session that in addition to fixing up his ninja gear, she decided, you know what, while you're here, we'll, we'll actually, you know, see how like, you know, your vitals have changed. Uh, and uh, so, you know, I'll, I'll be observing you from here while you go and take this thing on. So like, all right, fair enough. You know, his, his body has completely changed. So she's making observations of like, oh, he's, he's more graceful now, uh, but his reach and strength went a bit down, but he's covering up for them well and stuff. And uh, so Suzu is sitting there next to her in her like control room as they're watching Matsuri fight this thing. And uh, so she explains like, yeah, so since I, you know, I'm in charge of his, I'm, I'm his artist and I need to know more than anyone about Matsuri's body. Uh, and so, of course, immediately Suzu's like, wait, is that what's really going on here? So maybe while Matsuri and I kind of lost touch. And so she literally imagines Rayo and 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 Matsuri just having sex while she's like, I need to inspect every inch of you. Like, that's basically what she imagines. Her mind immediately goes there. Uh-huh. So she says, how long have you known Matsuri? And Rayo answers, well, it's been about 312 days, 10 hours, 10 minutes and three seconds since I met him. Because she's got that whole, you know, she she is a super, super nerd character. But she says that today I'll never forget. And we get a flashback to when Rayo was kind of being introduced by her father, clan member. I don't know. Some very bushy bearded guy. He looks like Eggman if Eggman had a beard. Um, getting introduced to Matsuri's grandfather. And he says like, yeah, she's you know the most talented member of our clan. But if she's just going to keep doing whatever happens to come to mind, then she's just going to be an apprentice for a long while. But... While they're talking, Matsuri is using these uh, wind-controlled shuriken that Rayo has whipped up. And he's like, oh, aren't these so cool? Look, oh yeah, I'll call them my demon wind shuriken. And he's already mastered them perfectly, and then he snaps them back to his hands. And he says, you know what, I've decided. Rayo Kuroki, when I take my proficiency test and I become an exorcist ninja, I want you to make my gear. And so Rayo thinks to herself, you know, this was the first time that someone recognized me as an artisan. And she explains to Suzu in the present, normally it's constructed by the master, my father. He's the expert, This all this gear. And then Exorcist Ninja put their lives on line fighting Ayakashi, but Matsuri instead entrusted me with that. And that's why it's my responsibility to support him with everything that I have. Um, and then she gets distracted by, you know, the test that's going on uh, up until stuff, it's time to take a break. And she's like, all right, you know, I'll verify the data here. But suddenly the robot comes to life again and it grabs onto Matsuri and it fan services him. Uh, 
It really does. One of them has gone down her pants, and I was like, yep. come on. So it's... Uh... So Rayo's like, why does the ultimate tickle device been activated? And Suzu rightfully is like, why does it have that function? But it turns out that there's an Ayakashi inside the maintenance axis of the wood robot sparring partner thing. And it's Shirogane. He's inside it and he's taking control of it. And we get a very, very short explanation from to from him to himself of just like, I've got this feeling that I can't dilly-dally any longer. So just a quick little throwaway that we get more explanation on later of this is why I'm acting now when I've just kind of been house catting this whole time. So, so he's going for the scroll right now. Suzu tries to go and race out, but Rayo says, Hey, Hey, no need to miss Suzu. Uh, and she says, Hey, Matsuri, don't hold back. You can break it. And Matsuri's like, well, are you sure you spend a lot of time breaking this? And Rayo's like, Hey, Hey, equipment's meant to be broken. And I love the process of improving things when I, when I rebuild them. So Matsuri's like, all right, you got it. And uh, calls on his his weapons, immediately just breaks the robot apart. Shirogana goes flying out, and uh, we see later he's held in Suzu's arms, and he's kind of sooty. And uh, so he's talking a little bit with uh, Rayo afterwards, and uh, Suzu is observing them as they talk, and she's thinking to herself, you know, I mean, this is a part of Matsuri's world that I didn't know about. And if Shirogane hadn't appeared, I would never have known about it. So for all this time, Ms. Kurogi has been supporting Matsuri. So I need to be work hard to support him, too. Uh, then we get more fan service. Um, yeah. it's, it, 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 it's, it, it's a thing that happens in this series. So it, it happens. Uh, very skimpy uh, ninja gear that Rayo was very proud of for some reason. I don't know. Uh, afterwards, everyone goes home. Uh, Matsuri's thinking to himself about uh, what happened, what a conversation that he had with Reo, because she's like, hey, what kind of Ayakashi got you? And he's like, what are you talking about? And she says, well, the way your gear was broken wasn't normal. The jutsu that makes the gear convert into particles that then changes into clothes went buggy. I can only think some kind of Ayakashi power went through it. And so Matsuri has realized that the reason that his gear malfunctioned was because of the time that Suzu tried to put her energy into him. So Matsuri's like, so that means that her powers are actually close to those of an Ayakashi, which given the fact that we kind of knew about the two types of energy before, that should be kind of obvious, but he's worried about this. And, yes. and he's also thinking if I don't think that Suzu can actually undo the jutsu of the King of Ayakashi, but what if she can she would truly become the Ayakashi god. And if she does become like that, I feel like she'd be really far from me, somewhere far beyond my reach. And we see that Suzu is in her home, and she's making a lot of progress on her Ayakashi medium training already. She's got a bunch of paper cranes floating around her with her power. Uh -huh. And then right before we close, we see that Shirogane, the reason why he suddenly acted out like this, is because he's realized that with all these Ikon that have been appearing recently... It must be related to him. Is he here in this town? And we see a shadowy figure approaching. So there's some dumb fan service in this chapter. Yes. But I actually kind of like it otherwise. So. No, I, 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 I think this was actually a pretty decent chapter. All things considered, like, you know, we get the tease of somebody. Like, it will always kill me. It must be related to him mm -hmm. fucking stupid 
But I do think that there's a nice little moment of showing that Matsuri back then, he was pretty nice to Ryo and not like in a very earnest way. He was like, wow, her shurikens are actually really good. I know how to use it. It's, it's, you know, a little nice moment. And I I like that. That's like, hey, you could easily get out of this situation. Why aren't you? She's like, oh, but I don't want to break something that you've made. So... It's, you know, a sweet little moment that shows he cares about somebody else in a, a very, a very earnest way. Uh, there's a lot of really dumb fan service, but that's this series. I have come to yeah. expect it with every week. So it's once you point. kind of accept that, then it's like, I'll just look at the other things. Yeah, <laughs> I, just, I just need to stop reading it while people are around. <laughs> Where did all that young lady's clothes go? Just get out of here, Dad. Go home. <laughs> uh, I ended up actually... Uh, quite liking Rayo after all after this uh, little two-parter that we got in the last couple of chapters um i named you know a few like inventor girls that she reminds me of but the one that actually she reminds me of the most after having gotten this chapter is uh entrapta from the uh yeah. newer version of shira you know she's very scatterbrained and is obsessed with her inventions and stuff like that and also her hair is kind of reminiscent of her too um but yeah i do like the bond between them and i like how Suzu starts off with this whole, you know, it's like, oh, is this girl, is this girl, has this girl fucked him? Has she fucked him and why haven't I, you know, but by the end of it, she's like, oh, there is this whole side of Matsuri that I didn't know about and I want to be there for him. And that's really nice. Yes, I do like that. Uh, All right. Let's uh, wrap things up this week with Black Clover, page 267. Uh, the devil binding rituals. The last time, Asta's arm, Asta had been taken by Nature Boy Ric Flair into this <laughs> hidden underground chamber. About that every week. <laughs> yeah, it's you know it's gonna be what it is. Uh, and he has to basically fight against his devil given human form, which means losing his arm. So the devil's there, and the devil kind of looks a lot like Asta, just with horns. Very you know young looking kid, and specifically the arm that he did take is more muscular than the other arm he has so i presume he actually gets some benefit of all of asta's exercising when he has that arm so it's like his the rest of his body except for his head is more in in shadows so it's like it has more defined form so asta is like oh that's what you look like oh i've been telling you to take some phrases thank you and everyone's just like the fuck are you talking about? And he's like, oh, because you've saved me all those times over and over again. And I really want to thank you. And I don't know if maybe this is just like an abusive relationship that I've been in too long, <laughs> but I was kind of endeared. I was like, you know, it would have been a different thing if Ichigo, every time you met his hollow, was just like, thanks, buddy. You really kind of helped me out a whole lot. And it's just it's. Very stupid and charming, I guess, in oh, the way as Chris, don't you mean every time that Ichigo met Zangetsu because that was Zangetsu mm-hmm. instead of the uh, the old man Zangetsu that yeah. was his, his Quincy pet? I fucking hate that twist. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so basically, his devil's just like, whatever. <laughs> You're an idiot. Why are you saying to this to the guy who, st- who took your arms? And he's just like, well, it was the deal. Fair is fair. <laughs> devil's like, God, you're an idiot. I'm going to kill you now. And that's like, I can't do, let you do that. And actually, I just remember this is the first time we talked. And <laughs> you're actually kind of short. <laughs> it just starts making fun of him. He's just like, 
I didn't know you, like, I remember before you were kind of big when we talked, and I don't, I don't want to get my butt kicked by somebody who's this short. I do, well, he's, I think he more has the problem of, like, every time they had the internal conversations, he was huge and imposing, and he's yeah. like, why were you faking like that? I don't get my ass kicked by someone who has to do that. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so he's just like, you really don't get your situation. And he takes Asta's book just by like minding of Jedi pulls it over, pulls out the demon slaying sword. And he's just like, there is no way you can win this. And he swings his sword down. Asta barely, you know, comes right down by his side, slaps him around, just beating him up. And the devil is just laughing. You know, you walked in my turf. It's not going to be your arm. This time I'm taking the rest of you. <laughs> and Asta's like, wait, we can talk about this. And Nature Boy Ric Flair is just like, fight. You came here to get stronger, right? Then defeat him, no matter what it takes. If you lose, the devil will take over your body and you will die. And all the bones of everyone in this place are people who have failed at this. So you are not special. You will be one of many. And we see that there's actually like murals of this. So this is actually a relatively frequent thing, apparently, within this world. Uh, There's a lot of skulls in the pillars. Yes. So this has happened a lot. There are a lot of them. So S is like, wait, is this something we're not supposed to be doing? H. Boyer does not answer. Just like, did you, you? That's it. You have two days. Did you think you get stronger in that time by decent methods? This is a world. Well, I thought I would just like stab a doll that would make the spirit of my Zombok toe appeared. And then if I lost, the only consequence would be that I wouldn't be able to have Bankai. So. <laughs> Uh, I really do like this line where he just says, this is a world you entered because you had no magic and wanted strength. So the monster or devil keeps attacking and nature boy is like, what are you doing? He's just going to kill you if this keeps up. And that's like, no, he's not trying to kill me. I could tell from his key. And nature boy is like, what are you talking about? Your opponent is like, he has like the quiet, like, and he's like, what are you talking about? This is a devil. There's no there's no such thing as a devil with principles. And of course the devil's like, ah, yes, I'm very evil. Super evil. Very, very evil. And I was like, no, nah, he's not. I can tell. He's he's kind of like a wuss. <laughs> he's kind of, it's kind of like that bit in like, you oh. know, like, oh yeah, I've had I've had sex with, with so many women. I, you know, when you get them and you're just there and you're having sex with him <laughs> so i'm super evil i remember one time i saw a cat and i didn't even pet it because i'm fucking and i'm an animal bitch what are you gonna do and i only fed him one bag of cat food yeah uh, it really wanted more but i only i stopped i cut him off after one i only petted him a little bit i didn't even give him belly kisses after the first couple so how about that i'm a real bad motherfucker <laughs> mother farter sorry i don't know <laughs> I'm sorry. I know that. That's oh, that's. Uh, are there children present? I don't want to. I mean, I don't care if there are kids around here. I'll, I'll, I'll only give them a few lollipops before I send them on their way. I don't think you understand what a bad dude I am. One time, I saw a movie and I walked over and I saw another movie in the same theater after that without buying a ticket. But the movie was that good that I came back out and I bought a ticket anyway because I wanted to support the filmmakers. <laughs> but I didn't feel bad about it at all. I did buy a couple boxes of Raisinets to support the theater, though, because that's where they make most of their money. Why aren't you feeling like I'm a really scary dude? I feel like you don't believe it. <laughs> uh, Asta does the whole fucking Zangief, Wreck-It Ralph, Luke. Just because you're devil doesn't mean you are 
de evil. <laughs> See how I worked it all together there? Yes. Uh, and the devil starts having an image, starts seeing the silhouette next to Asta that looks very similar, and he says, well, damn it. Asta guy would look a lot better if you were a chick. <laughs> He's like, oh, I wish I didn't have that condition that makes me see rule 60, 69 in front of every character I see. Oh. Um, yeah, he's, he has a flashback, and we see some female character saying, you aren't a bad guy, pointing at him in much the similar way. Um, I've heard a lot of theories. Uh, one is saying that very well could be asked as mom. Uh, maybe. Who knows? Uh, I'll be honest. I thought this was a boring chapter reading it. But then recapping it, I was like, this is a way better chapter than I gave it credit for. I, a lot of the pieces actually do work. Rule 63, sorry, is the one I was thinking of. Uh, I don't really care for Asta's like, no, we could be friends thing because it, I know that it only has come up as a surprise this way because Nacht forced him to rush into cool. it. So he didn't. Nature Boy Rickfire. Okay. Uh, didn't. So he didn't know what was going to happen. And so we didn't we specifically because of that didn't know what his thoughts on this was going to be like. But every time we've seen Asta interact with his devil, it's definitely been one where like, you know, yes, he hasn't been ashamed to reach out for help when he needs it. But then, you know, you have to remember that this guy, yeah, took his arm. and he, It seems like he should be a little upset about that. Um but instead, he's just kind of like, yeah, thanks for letting me fight with you this whole time. Let's be friends now. And it's like, that's a very cheeky thing to do. And Asuka, you're not cheeky. Uh, I, I've, I feel like you're more about, you know, guts and determination than you are about everyone can be my friend, even though he's made a lot of friends along the way. It's by being it's by not being this way that, you know, he's connected with so many people. It's by being upbeat and positive and determined. But it's not been about like, and we can be friends, right? So. It, it, it seems a little weird. Uh, if this is Asta's mother, I hope that the devil is like, yeah, I was in love with your mom. It was a whole thing. You know, we dated for a while. Saw her tits a few times. She's really hot. And uh, every time I look in your eyes, I just get these weird feelings. <laughs> do you do the same thing where your toes curl whenever you stick something up your rectum? Do you? Because she had that. Do you have the same thing? <laughs> I don't even know who my mom is. Shut up. <laughs> Just don't scream. I don't like this conversation. He tries to cover his hands with his ears. He's like, oh, you took my arm. <laughs> That's the only time he cares. Um, it's very I, important that you learn about what a freak your mom was. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Not even that freaky. It's like a little ass play. And he's like, yeah, your mom was a real sick fuck. <laughs> Sometimes she would just like not wear underwear around the house. Like that's so freaky, right? <laughs> One time your mom was like, what if we did it with the lights off? <laughs> like that foot, like a dirty cow. She is like, I don't think you know a lot about anything, Mr. Devil. You don't I mean, I had to feel around to find her. It was so <laughs> sexy. One time we didn't do it through the sheet. It was so hot. <laughs> One time we pretended to be different people. Yeah, you like that? It was like, like, yeah, call me a human. <laughs> it's just like, you don't seem to know a lot about sex or being evil. I'm Shut up, you're like 15, kid. 
There's like three girls in love with you. What the fuck do you have to say about that to me? Yeah, but, what? but girls aren't push-ups, so I'm not interested in them. <laughs> One time Noel was like, do you want to do some workout on me? And I was like, no thanks, I'm happy with this tree branch. <laughs> and then I lifted it all night. I slept like a baby that night. What are we talking about? <laughs> yeah, I bet I could beat the Spade Kingdom if I lift that tree again. As he just leaves. Nature Boy Ric Flair over the corner just... <laughs> it's like, Why did I bring him here? I hate this. <laughs> oh, dear. Anyway, the chapter was kind of okay, but it was a little bit weird. Uh, I am actually interested in this, not just because, like, oh, who is this girl? But, like, hey, we'll learn more about this devil that uh, has yeah. is dwelling inside of Asta. And that's, you know, something that's been alluded to for a really long time. And, hey, devils are a big thing in this story arc. So it'll be kind of cool to learn about that. Uh, and it'll, you know, establish more of the relationship. So. Yeah, I don't know. As I said, maybe it's just Stockholm Syndrome, but I feel like I'm kind of starting to get into Black Clover's lore a little bit more. Mm. All right. Okay, that is going to do it for Weekly Manga Recap. Let's name our favorites for this week. Favorite chapter and MVP. Uh, favorite chapter I'm going to give to We Never Learn. I really like that chapter. I liked it as a closing to that whole little arc. And um, you know what? I want to say it chapter of the week to we never learn because i feel like i'm not gonna be ever saying it again i'm gonna give my chapter of the week to uh magichan god of destruction because it was sweet and adorable and took me really off guard and i loved it so all right uh my character of the week sorry no, no, go ahead. Okay. I was just going to ask you for that. So. Okay. Uh, my character of the week is going to be uh, Nero or uh, Nero? No, Reno. Sorry. Near Reno from uh, uh, Kaiju number eight. Yeah. I just have to remember he's named after that stupid character from Final Fantasy VII. Is he? <laughs> well, he is not named after him. He has the same name as a stupid character from Final Fantasy okay. VII. Uh,. I'm a little bit torn on this. Um, but I think I'm going to give it to Rayo. Uh, like, okay. I, like, uh, like I said, she actually left a pretty really good impression on me after this chapter, after we got to know her more and see more of her relationship with Matsuri. And uh, I think I actually really like the, the uh, dynamic between them. And uh, it's, it's very sweet. And also this way we get the kind of, we get the, the Reno Rayo uh uh, thing yeah. so you know it rhymes it's like yep. poetry. rio and reno uh it's like um it's like poetry it rhymes, yeah, it rhymes. uh it's all right the scenes. <laughs> <It's so weird. laughs> uh the audience picked uh we never learn as their chapter of the week and kafka from kaiju number eight as their character of the week so totally yeah. got that yeah kafka got to prove himself this week so it was cool yeah. all right Chris, do we have uh, another Halloween series that we're going to be taking a look at? Yes, uh, I have another one here. The series we're going to be picking up, this one was recommended by Gilly Elfson. This mm -hmm. is Miracle-chan, which is a comedy horror where a girl is able to see grotesque monsters around her, but no one else can. 
and she decides to just ignore them. So I guess it's going to be a comedy series about uh, horrifying monsters that only this one poor girl could see. So that sounds like a, a little bit more amusing of a series. Okay. Well, we'll see how that goes. Join us. Well, it looks like it's only about 30 chapters. So probably next week. Yeah, Join I was going to say, I don't think it'll be that. crazy long. And uh, yeah, in the meantime, thank you everyone for joining us for Weekly Manga Recap. We do the show on twitch.tv slash live recording around 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern time each Wednesday. You can also follow us on Twitter to stay updated on exactly when we're going to be starting the show. At DMR Podcast is the official podcast account, and your hosts are at RoloT and at Nick F. Time. You can also check out our past episodes on weeklymongerecap.podbean.com and wherever we get the podcast to go up on a feed somewhere. If you are interested in getting more involved in the community and making suggestions for future manga for us to read, or if you want to know every series we've done, every end of episode poll that we've uh, that we've shared the results of, all that stuff is available on the Google Doc that is maintained by Ninja X3i. You can find that via the Discord server, the Weekly Manga Recap Discord server. And uh, we want to thank everyone who supports us on Patreon. We just mm-hmm. recorded a special bonus episode recently that you should be. I believe is that already out? It's already out. If you want to check it out, we have a new bonus podcast out. It's a top ten where Nick and I count down our top ten favorite uh, or best rather opening anime openings. So you can go check that out. It's gotten a lot of really good comments. A lot of people finding some nostalgia or some new uh, favorites from that. And uh, if you're interested in supporting us on that, you allow us to create more bonus content for you guys to enjoy and we appreciate every single supporter we get out there. Yeah, absolutely. And we want to extend our special thanks, not just to NGX3i for maintaining the Google Doc, but also to Steve Mann, our target artist, to Infamous Planet for making the visual frameworks for the uh, streams of the show, and to Lindsay Del Cheddar and Milo Jack Stilitz for making the opening sequence of Weekly, of Weekly Manga Recap. Also, uh, I want to throw out there uh, as well, I know that there's been a recent thing, so for people who are still listening, if you aren't a part of the Discord, I know that there has been a weekly thing now where on Saturdays... Mm-hmm. Uh, the group uh, on the Discord is getting together to do games of Among Us. And I think that's a really cool thing. I I wouldn't be shocked to see if maybe it evolves into doing more like regular game nights with people. So uh, definitely check that out if you're interested. Yeah. And I think that is it. I think we're clear. So, Chris, I'll be sure to thank Bane for showing up for. The oh, I will. Episode. Yeah, he's he, he definitely he said he had to go. He left on the high note. And then uh, you had to get going. I assume to go get shot by torpedoes from Catwoman's motorcycle or however he died in that last movie. It was pretty dumb. That's all I remember. (laughs) Uh, What could have been? You mean what could have been? Nick, why are you taking your headset off? Nick, why are you standing up and leaving? Nick, why is your car starting? (laughs) Nick, why do I hear a plane taking off?